Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my poker greatness-seeking friend, and welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest on the show is high-intelligent and mental game coach for Raise Your Edge, Coach Bauman. Coach Bauman is quite the character who has led quite the life. Without spoiling it too much for you, Coach's story that he tells today is going to take you from his parents fleeing Iran to Holland when he was just two years old because of the Iranian Revolution, an early life that consisted of homelessness, petty crime, and bad decisions, and how poker quite literally saved his life. Thankfully, in the present moment, we all get to benefit from the wisdom Coach Bauman has earned through his own blood, sweat, and tears. In our conversation, you're also going to learn why high intelligence is not everything it's cracked up to be, why successful poker players also tend to be highly sensitive human beings, the one personality trait that will ultimately lead to poker failure, and much, much more. And before you dive into today's conversation with Coach Bauman, if you'd like to support Chasing Poker Greatness while also taking the necessary first step Towards playing winning cash game poker, Preflop Bootcamp fires up on the last Saturday of every month. The place to check that out is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you the brilliant, greatness bomb dropping, high intelligent, mental game coach of Raise Your Edge, Coach Bauman. Coach Bauman, good morning, my friend. How you doing? Thank you. Doing wonderful. Um, Locked down, trying to stay healthy, uh, stuck in Amsterdam. Not a bad place to be in, but uh, very happy and grateful to be able to do my job from home. You know, the, the world is suffering. A lot of people are struggling. And I think we in the poker community are, are blessed to still have a job, a place to be and a place to belong. So very happy. Yeah, it's one of the industries that has been able to just kind of hang on while the rest of the world is struggling. It, it, it is a blessing, and I can't wait for things to get back to some kind of semblance of normal without this mm. shadow of COVID over over our heads every single day, every single action that we take. Yeah, definitely. So to fire up today, I wanted to start out a little bit differently. Um, sure. wanted to ask you, what's something about you that not many people know? Hmm. I think um, a big group of people who grew up with me uh, definitely know this, but uh, as I'm tapping in this new world of uh, coaching, especially high intelligence coaching and putting myself out there a little bit more, I'm definitely um, feeling a very heavy weight of responsibility as almost a role model towards my clients and towards the people who look at me for life advice and drug advice and structural and and meaning and purpose. And I have a huge, huge waves of imposter syndrome. I often struggle with that 
that weight of, yeah, you got all the answers, coach. Tell me about it. What do I do here? And what do I do in this situation? What do you think about this decision? And what do you think I should do with that? And, and there's often times that I just want to kind of run away and hide and scream. I don't know the answers, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> what do <laughs> you the, say when you don't know the answers? I, I don't know the answer. Yeah. I really don't. Sometimes you don't know the answer and, and you got to be honest about that. But I, I am curious to figure it out together with you. If if you want to do that, we can do it together uh, because I'm curious about that answer as well. But yeah, I, I really, I don't claim to know it all and not, not by a long shot, very, very long past of abuse and neglect and, and petty crime and homelessness and, and, and some bad decisions that really, uh, uh, yeah, so built some imposter syndrome in my in my system that is really hard to break, I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, the reality is nobody has all the answers, right? And nobody can solve every single problem, and a lot of problems are individual in nature. And one of the high-level coaches in my community starts out his coaching sessions by talking about going on a shared voyage of discovery, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that sometimes... Neither one of us know the answer. However, that's not going to stop us from looking and trying to put the pieces together and intelligently try to figure out what's going on or test different avenues to see if one thing works. And if it doesn't, then testing something else, just going about it in a scientific way. It's, um, yeah, nobody has all the answers. Nobody's going to solve all of your life problems. It's um, part of being a great coach is being a great problem solver just in general yeah and i agree with that with that said you know you talked about your past and yeah let's just dive into your story as a human being what has led you to the poker world where you're coming from mm. uh, poker saved my life i think that's a cool story to share maybe that gives an idea about my past because it's a rather long complex story that i like to always boil it down to the poker story the poker chapter of it i came to uh, holland in 1992 uh, i was two years old and i was a refugee the iranian revolution happened we had to get out of there and when we landed in holland my family was written with mental health issues ptsd traumas depression uh, mom and dad got divorced pretty quick i was a young Highly sensitive, highly intelligent kid who's not. Could I? Could I just go back? I, I want to frame yeah. this. You know, yeah. what what was life like that? Like um, when your family migrated to Holland? Like what mm. was what was just life like? Uh, confusing and um, un uncertain and and very scary because we were in a very long process of. Will we be allowed to stay in Holland or not? Lawsuit after lawsuit, uh, investigation after investigation, because we need to make sure your story checks out where you're from, um, especially since Iranian government back in the day, they were still uh, basically manhunting on refugees who had a, um, a high level of uh, uh, importance in the government, which my mother had. So it was a very uncertain and a very dangerous time for us so um, as much as my mom and dad tried to hide it, uh, unfortunately, I was very well aware of everything from a very young age. So I sensed it, I felt it, and I knew that I was not the priority in this family. 
Um, and that's how I behaved myself. I put myself on the back burner. I made sure I didn't make no trouble, didn't make no noise. It's quiet, silent, and just let my dad fight and argue and call and get on the phone and yell and scream. And that's basically what most uh, most of the things were about in my house. So the priority Lost. was survival. Um, yeah. Just pure survival um, with the you know, the conflict with the Iranian government, what ended up happening with the, that specific Iranian government? Because I, I'm not sure about geo, geopolitics. I, I was seven, eight years old back then. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, there was some, some comparable to what's, what's happening in, in, in America for a while now, where you see just this huge gap between two groups of people, which is definitely being fed by the media and all kinds of other groups. Um, in Iran, it was also being fed by the CIA and the MI5, the England and America, who both had, you know, some some stakes, some some percentage. They had a they had a piece of uh, Iran and the oil and, and the business there. So we're definitely uh, trying to make sure that they were looking out for their own uh, well-being there as well. So the movement that came up was a Muslim movement, a quite extreme Muslim movement, who decided that the country would be better off if they were be run by Muslims. And when that happened, when the revolution happened, basically people ran on the streets, took over the government uh, successfully there, and um, they uh, got the king out of the country and his entire entourage of people and everybody who supported him was uh, yeah, was in trouble or had to flee the country. And that was basically the big exodus, as they call it. A lot of people left. And that's why you're you guys are stuck with a lot of Iranians in Beverly Hills and a lot of <laughs> like rich Persian guys and BMWs. Yeah, uh, it's. I didn't realize that the Iranian king kind of zipped on out of there after the Muslims took over the government. I am. I feel that it's very unfortunate that that is a parallel with things that are obviously happening in the United States right now, and you know where there are nations and countries that have interests in other countries this kind of thing will go on if you yeah. if, if the listener right now is thinking that russia didn't interfere in either election you're out of your mind like if, if they think that china isn't interfering in either election you're out of your mind like they have they create social media um personalities that organize marches um from russia like in the United States, right? It's very tactical. It's very psychological. And with the power of social media and voice amplification and the fact that lies travel at a much higher velocity than the truth, it's kind of ripe for dis and misinformation. And the world is ripe for division, which ultimately is something that humanity needs to do something about because it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm not just saying in the United States, but the tactics that the United States employs in other countries as well. Like something needs to be done about this, you know, it, it's just class warfare, right? It's propaganda, class warfare. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad in Iran. And so, yeah, it forced us out. We came to Holland and that uh, began my journey, basically, in Holland as a young refugee kid trying to find my way in a very small village uh, where I grew up with um, a professional high-stakes poker player now who's in Asia mostly and 
we both grew up together and he introduced me to poker uh, when I was homeless, funny enough. I was homeless, living in um, shelters and trying to find my way. My mother uh, eventually got sick of me. One of her bipolar rages, she kicked me out and said, I'm done. Uh, so I kind of left and, and um, had to fend for myself. And how, how did it feel? Poker. How did it feel? How, how did it feel getting kicked out and being homeless, living on the street? Didn't really feel anything, to be honest. It was really a blur. That time was a blur for me. From my fourteen until twenty was a blur. There was a lot of weed smoking, a lot of depression, a lot of anger. Uh, working a dead end jobs, just trying to get some money, uh, until eventually I found poker. Uh, that's that's really first taste of passion that I've had in my life. A real connection with something that I cared about and that I felt like I was pretty good at. Uh, obviously, back in 2008, I think you could teach a monkey to beat 50 and L, so I wasn't that great, but I, I felt I felt good about it. So he taught me, so like, bro, come on, sit here. This is 5 and L, 10 and L. You could make like 100, 200 a, a month, easy bucks. And you could, I mean, you could have some, put some money in your pocket and I learned it and taught me everything he knew back then. And I got the 20 and L and I was like, Oh, this is a, this is easy. And this is a lot of money. Wow. And I was playing on Betfair back then. Betfair was great. And then I went to ultimate bet. Now I that that's when I had my big run with like winning tournaments and doing great in hundred and L cash games. And my life just completely flipped 180. Like it was great. I had money. I had a house. I had a girlfriend. And then in one month, ultimate bet. I don't know what happened with that site. I'm, I'm never. I'm. I'm. I, I still don't know what happened. But my account was empty. One day I woke up and it was all gone. Five thousand dollars something. It was all gone. And then the day after, I found my my girlfriend cheating with a guy in my bed. And I was like, Oh my god, it's collapsing. Everything is going bad again. Wow. And I lost my mind again for a good year or two and i got back on my feet you think your girlfriend could have just dumped the money to somebody else i mean that seems i don't know it was some funny stuff going on um she didn't know my password but uh, money got sent from my account to a friend's account and he never received it that's basically what happened a very crazy situation where they never helped me to resolve it yeah i don't know I, yeah. I see. I, I was immersed in Ultimate Bet back in the day, so like I, I mm. played on, on the site a lot. I would, I, I guess, I, the fir- my first thought, as awful as it sounds, is like this friend that didn't receive the money. Like, can he prove that he didn't receive? Yeah, the money? yeah, yeah. I checked his account, and yeah, yeah, because that's like that. That would be my because I had uh, not a similar situation where a friend of mine who I let borrow money they. Ultimate Bet had like a rake race um, where first place was like 15k one one month, and he busted his account, asked to borrow money, just to like so that he he was in first place, so he wanted to just hold over for the last like eight or nine um. days. So I shot him some money, and then he chopped up first. Him and the him and the guy uh, chopped up first place. And he told me that he didn't get paid. Like Ultimate Bet didn't didn't uh-huh. pay pay him the money. So like I called support. I got on the horn because I actually finished like seventh or eighth that month. And I was like, hey, if he didn't get paid, like I framed it as like I'm gonna ladder up, right? Like you guys owe me more money. Like he's telling me that he didn't get paid. And basically they just said everybody that was supposed to get paid got paid. 
And so mm-hmm. that was that was how I found out that basically my friend was trying to scam me, um, mm-hmm. borrowing money and then not paying me back directly when when he did get paid. So slick shit, some slick shit. That's not yeah, cool. It, it's not cool, it, but it's I think that these are the lessons that young men learn about yeah. human behavior and Absolutely. how money can kind of change things even though oh, yes. people declare that it will not change things it can absolutely change things yeah most definitely most definitely yeah but anyway but going yeah, back I, going back to your story <laughs> not, yeah. not, things are not going well your no, girlfriend no, cheated no. on you your yeah. account is is emptied out what yeah, was your state uh, of mind how, how did you deal with that terrible depressed broke uh and i uh drove to back to my city uh, where I was from, I, I left her and all my stuff and all my money. I was like, I keep it. I don't care about the house. I don't care about energy left. And um, I'm, I'm, I moved into a very small, shitty apartment, but I didn't even have $1. I met a guy. It's like he saved my life in a way that he just gave me the apartment. He said, just pay whenever you have time. Here's the room. It's a shitty room. It's not great. It's very smelly and ugly, but go stay in it. You'll pay me whenever you have time. So what I was that out to like, my... man? Like you're doing well, and you know, yeah. how come you left things behind that you that had monetary value? The just the emotional pain of it was just too much. Mm. That yeah, and and also combining with the fact that I felt like I finally had something going for myself in my life, and then when it was taken away from me, I just felt like, all right, so I guess it's this is my this is my destiny. It's my purpose to just suffer, be a loser, be alone, be broke. I should have never even had the the audacity to believe that I would have money or uh, someone who loved me or someone who cared about that's silly. Like how, what are you even thinking? You're a loser. Just settle, settle with the fact that you're a loser. And that's basically what I did. I just kind of in an act of self-destruction, I just left everything and, and, and got back into my comfort zone of being, alone and miserable and, and and trying to get $10 for some weed. And, you know, that was my daily routine. And I went back into that. And then my buddy came back from Asia with all the crazy Macau stories. And I was like, I really don't want to hear this, but I listened anyway. <laughs> and then he told me all the stories. And then he told me, you know what? You got unlucky. Here's some money. Pay the guy's rent. You know, he paid rent for like a year. And he gave me like a, a hundred bucks or something just for fun. Like go play tournaments. Who knows? You might get lucky. And then I binked the fucking $22 rebuy on PokerStars. <laughs> and then from there, I just, it's funny because I'll never forget that tournament because that, that moment in my life when just that was uphill from there, everything was great. And I've been having a huge upswing ever since that day. How long, how many days ago was that? How long ago was that? Nine years, nine, almost nine and a half years. Yeah, a I would say upswing. that's a big upswing. That's a, that's yeah. a long, long-lasting upswing with a bunch of, I I assume, mental, psychological upgrades that have been yeah. made in the meantime, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into that, you know, your process of growth and self-discovery and coaching other folks in the poker, not just the poker space, but a, a bunch of high-performance spaces, you know, in reading your about me at your website, you said that you were challenged with high intelligence, high sensitivity, ADHD, mm-hmm. and I want to focus on the first one, high intelligence. 
because what are what is the downside of high intelligence right like most people when they think of high intelligence they don't think that of that being a challenge they think of it mm-hmm. as being a gift so talk to me about that well it's it's uh they say that around five percent um two to three four five percent of the world is intellectually gifted i would argue there's a lot more people who are intellectually gifted especially around our age because we've never really been tested when we were younger when we were younger we were smart there wasn't really tests there was just you know this is a smart kid go sit in the smart corner have this book this is like a year uh, above your grade go go read it or whatever do some extra assignments and uh, they really isolate you from the group. So in order to survive, that's what I did. Uh, I dumped myself down in order to fit in with the group and in order to have friends and have a social life and protect myself from isolation. Was this consci- uh, conscious, a conscious effort to dumb yourself down? No, I think I was too young for it to be conscious. But uh, I have a lot of clients who say it was conscious. They knew that they were smarter than how they were acting. And that in turn created uh, a very, very big inner conflict uh, that uh, turned into burnout, and depression, bipolar, all these other mental disorders because they've been acting for so long that, you know, sometimes uh, something's got to give. And usually it's around college, university years, late teens, early 20s, where they discover that I can't keep, I can't keep this mask on forever. It's just too exhausting. And... The isolation part is also a very valid uh, path that a lot of people take. They just say, you know what, I don't agree with the group, with the social group. I don't agree with their values, their norms, their morals. I'm just going to go at it lone wolf. Uh, And that also eventually eats at you. So it's really um, about having to make decisions at a very young age. I would say it starts there when it comes to high intelligence. Uh, What I did consciously do is as a young kid, kept the wall up and protected my parents from any further problems and further pressure on them and their relationship. So any problems that I would get at school, I would be very smart in hiding them. I would be very good at navigating talks with the psychologists and the social workers in order to not get my parents alarmed about my behavior at school. I would be very smart in wording my answers to teachers and, you know, weasel my way out of uh, psychiatrist meetings and all that kinds of stuff. So those were definitely conscious decisions. And um, dealing with those decisions at a young age usually comes from being aware, right? That's what intelligence is. A big part of intelligence is just being aware, seeing more, feeling more, knowing. And and then we get to the learning aspect of it, being able to learn about what you see, right? Adapting your behavior towards the things that you're aware of. Um, being able to implement it, though, that step, that's another step. Sometimes highly intensive people never come to that point in their life. It took me 30 years or 28 years to come to that point, to take all this chaos in my head and to focus and channel it into something productive and be able to focus that energy. Uh, so I think it starts at a young age right there, right? Knowing that I'm more sensitive than others. I'm more aware than others. Maybe I'm learning and understanding things better than others. But mostly it's actually creating problems for me, whether it's at school or in social groups. Uh, And you learn to adapt to those problems and you cope sometimes in very unhealthy ways. Yeah, it's like you – unfortunately, your intelligence allows you to practice deception 
at a very young age in deceiving your guidance counselors, your teachers, and kind of protecting your parents when it's pretty clear from a parental perspective myself that the parent's job is to protect the kid. It's not the kid's job to protect the parent. And that sort of role reversal, I have to imagine, has to be very traumatizing to to a young kid. And, you know, you, you feel you grow up much faster that way and in a very unfortunate in a very unfortunate sense mm-hmm. um so yeah you high intelligence what's something that somebody who's listening right now who may be a high intelligence person but is struggling with mm-hmm. adaptation and wearing a mask what advice would you give them well uh, there's a theory called the theory of positive disintegration from Kazimierz Dabrowski. Uh, it's an incredible theory by a guy who's very controversial. He was a friend of Maslow, uh, but him and Maslow didn't really see eye to eye on a lot of different things. Uh, he said that there's five levels of character development, personality development that a highly intelligent person has to go through in order to disintegrate their old personality Right, their coping mechanisms, uh, their mask, so to speak, and come closer to their true authentic self. And one f- key thing that he discusses is that depression and bipolar and anxiety and fear, and these are very bad. You know, he's not, he's not trying to frame them as positive, but he's trying to frame them as a necessity for highly intelligent, highly sensitive people as an integral part of developing your personality. It's almost something that you have to go through in order to let go of the old and embrace who you truly are. And then that new that you step into, the person that you truly are, is scary because this person is undeveloped. You don't know how to manage it. You don't know what this person's potential is. It's, It's frightening and uncertain in a way. But if you're able to really embrace that uncertainty, that anxiety, that fear, that all that comes with it, then I think that's really the direction we need to be taking. Whatever is comfortable to you now is probably what's keeping you back. And that's your friends, and that's your job, and that's your daily routine, that's your coping with video games or social media or whatever it is. Yeah, it's... um... You know how the saying goes that if you don't get caught bluffing, then you're probably not bluffing enough. Mm. Uh, As it relates to life, if you're not failing, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. And that's just the reality. It's so easy to get stuck in our own comfort zone and to avoid being uncomfortable. But growth, if you want to experience growth, feeling uncomfortable is just an absolutely necessary thing that you have to go through. Um, yeah, the, the issue is with highly sensitive people as well, because highly sensitive people are not always highly intelligent, but highly intelligent people are always highly sensitive. And that's because their their senses are up, their, their radar is always spinning. They feel everything, they process everything, they're aware of everything. So certain sounds or noises or smells can really... Uh, impact them very deeply they might have memories of very specific moments in their life that might not be super relevant but they know exactly what that memory is about and that's because they load certain events with their life with a lot of emotions and that comes from 
basically living with this constant underlying anxiety that everything has the potential to hurt you. I'd rather it's a very simple social interaction with a friend where he looked at you weird or kind of responded differently on the WhatsApp or text, or, you know, just a teacher giving you a, a strange look that made you feel uncomfortable about yourself. Um, a lot of ways, a lot of different ways we can be traumatized, basically. There's a lot of more enemies in our lives, a lot of more things that uh, can, can hurt us. So we live in fear of these potential dangers. And because of that, we adapt our behavior and we adjust. And if you look at high sensitivity, then the, the main thing with high sensitivity is that, especially in men, that is a huge taboo on discussing it. Right? Who wants to be a sensitive man? Who wants to call themselves sensitive? So that's, that's often I notice with most clients that's holding them back the most, just being able to discuss it and open up about it. Because I've seen in poker, uh, the, the higher level players are all super sensitive, right? super sensitive, emotional guys, and makes complete sense because intelligence always comes together with sensitivity, right? it's hand in hand. Yeah, there's a ton of just raw intelligence at, at the higher stakes in, in poker. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition, that you want to create more flow in your life, and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day -day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Let's segue from this sensitivity because I, th this next question was one that I had on my slate anyway. But mm. what's a lesson that you've learned from a dark teacher and potentially that involves being sensitive to you know certain smells and sounds and looks and all that sort of thing? For me, I really had to dig super deep into what my 
habits are and where they came from. I'm super, super highly addictive. I get addicted to everything. I once once addicted to peppermints. That's also a highly sensitive thing because we get, uh, we, um, this is a little bit science, uh, the brain of, of a highly sensitive person uh, is wired to be super, super efficient. The more efficient the brain is, the more it is prone to take behavioral patterns and basically bundle them up in a habit as soon as possible and put them in the hard drive, right? Put them on the back as soon as possible. So it creates more space to solve complex problems and um, whatever other things you need to do in your life because we strain the brain so much with overthinking. So it basically gets used to, oh, you've done this now for one or two or three times. It's a habit now. Good luck. Right? <laughs> so I've, I've, I've noticed that things that I do, I get addicted to them so quickly. And for me, it's really, um, and that's what I've learned from, from very bad counseling in my life, uh, that I've always been labeled as addict and sensitive to being addicted. But what I've noticed for me is that I'm just looking for safety. And safety for me is being busy doing things. And whatever helps me to get away from quiet, silence, peace is good. I don't like peace. I don't like silence and I don't like quiet. So I turn on a video game, grab my phone, read a book, send the email, send the tweet. I do add something. Uh, sometimes I have Spotify video game and a YouTube video all at the three time going crazy. And my girlfriend's like, what the hell are you doing? What is this? How can you even focus? I'm like, I'm not really focusing. I just need noise. Right? And that's something that I really had to learn by yeah, a lot of digging. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that. Does that that means that you don't make quiet time for yourself? Do you unplug? Is that any part of your daily ritual? Is it a thing that you just are averse to in general? I have to. Yeah, I have to. It's, I force myself to unplug because I, I, I notice that I can't live without it. Uh, but I also really can't live with it. So I have to force myself to uh, take a step away because uh, something that I suffered and a lot of my clients have as well is psychosomatic um, symptoms, meaning uh, I get an um, a, a ear infection, like a literal ear infection when I'm too stressed. And I know, okay, my ear hurts, it's itching. I, I overstretch myself. This immediately, it's easy for me now to recognize it because I've done a lot of research for myself in that subject. But I've never really had the opportunity to hurry, hear that from a counselor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So yeah, my experiences with general therapy were not that great. Yeah, I mean, go into that. What, what was not great about your experience in general therapy? Um, I think because of the, the ease of being able to weasel myself out of these diagnoses and uh, the ease of manipulating the psychiatrists and the counselors around me, them never seeing the true pain that I was going through, but being able to talk myself out of all these difficult conversations and never getting any real proper help, so to speak. Why, why did you try to manipulate your way out of these conversations? What was it about vulnerability that you were so resistant to? Um, I had this, um, I had this created this alter ego for myself who was very strong or resilient and able to deal with any sort of mental pain that you could throw at me. 
And I felt that being vulnerable went against everything that I believed my identity was. And if I showed any vulnerability to anybody, uh, my whole world would collapse. So what I that basically built my whole life on being the tough guy, being strong. I don't care about this. I don't care about that. I don't care about school. And I, I was really determined with that because I'd get like F after F after F after the worst grades that school has ever seen in their life. And I just say, I don't care. And I really did not care. I was that deep in my alter ego that I truly did not care about my future or anything else. There was once a moment and I still remember it. This is what got me homeless. I got kicked out of my house by my mother. I was 16 and a counselor came by and said, Hey, you know what, Bauman, if you just go out, go back to school, Tell the school you're sorry. We can apply you back to school. You can get uh, your welfare check, like 250 bucks a week. It's a lot of money for me back then. And then you can get an apartment. You can pay for the apartment. We can put you back in school, and it will all be fine. And I told them, no, I don't believe in this. I really don't believe in school. I don't believe in you. I don't believe in the system. I don't want to be a part of it. And I chose homelessness over that just because of my perceived values and beliefs that I've imposed on myself. Uh, and that's also, again, that's one of the traps of high intelligence, that, that narcissism, that unrelenting belief in yourself and your norms and your values and your beliefs and not being able to let other people question it because you have basically woven your identity with your beliefs. And if you feel somebody is questioning it, it's like they, they question everything you are. It's terrifying. Yeah, and it, it, it's very interesting that it's it's all a design that inevitably keeps you small, right? Like mm -hmm. everything that you do is keeping yourself small, and it's just tough. As somebody that like is knows in their heart that they are an intelligent person, that knows they are capable, I, I could just see this internal turmoil of knowing that you're capable of great things, and yet doing things that are continually regularly self-sabotaging every single positive step that you could take yes. and i could see certainly mental breakdowns um having uh just poor behavior um just all sorts of these problems because of this kind of raging conflict within yourself yeah absolutely and uh, one coach told me something great and that's a coach that i've i've been working with he's highly intelligent he's incredible he's smart um, and he, and he told me that, uh, regular people, they drive old Toyotas and highly intelligent people, they drive Ferraris and Ferraris are super powerful machines with a lot of potential to drive real fast. Right. But if you don't know how to manage a Ferrari, then you're very likely to just run it right into a wall. Now, if you look at the Toyota, not a lot of potential, but it's very trustworthy, right? It doesn't need a lot of maintenance or care. You can drive a Toyota for like six months with no oil. Uh, they'll always get you from A to B, but a Ferrari is, is, man, that's a dangerous machine. You got to really watch out what you're doing with that. And highly intelligent people, young kids basically have access to a Ferrari, but they don't know how to drive. Like they have no idea what they're doing. And they, they, it just really becomes a danger instead of a real benefit. If they don't know how to really manage the machine that they got up here, not only the brain, but also all the emotions and all the emotional swings that come with it. 
but also all the expectations that people have of you. My teacher always telling me, hey, you're going to be the next mayor of this town. You're so intelligent, you're going to go to university straight away. I almost went to special ed. That's how much I messed up my test. That they almost put me in the in the special class. This I really that was really bad. What I my performance was that bad. He he couldn't do anything for me. And dealing with that at the same time, dealing with uh, internalized expectations as well, expectations of myself. Like wow, I really have to really have to perform now, right? I'm smart. Everybody tells me I'm smart. So managing all of that, nobody teaches you that. I mean, nobody tells you not one bit of advice of how to deal with all of that stuff that's coming your way. So most likely, yeah, you're going to mess it up along the way. Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of highly intelligent people never figure it out. They never gain control of their mind, and they live and they die with very little awareness as to what could have been, and that's ultimately just tragedy it's just tragic it's a tragic situation mm-hmm. um you you said something that i did want to circle back to uh, a little bit ago you were talking about creating habits and automiza- uh, o- automation and optimization and you know what comes with optimization and automation is that the more automated your systems are the more failure points you have so the yes. more opportunity you have to fail and then once one thing kind of breaks down another thing will break down and then Mm -hmm. another thing breaks down and then all of a sudden you have this sort of existential crisis of like you don't know how to start again once you've lost all momentum right um could you tell me about i'm sure that through coaching the folks at raise your edge you have a lot of these high performers who's automated systems kind of break down and then they kind of spiral downward. What do you do when you're talking to somebody who's experiencing that? How do you help them get back on the right track? Mm -hmm. Um, We really need to start embracing that feeling, the fear of collapsing and the fear of, wow, everything is falling apart. If we can embrace that instead of fight it or get right back into another set of toxic behavioral patterns, because that will be recycling our problems. Um, we'll take one set of problems and we'll jump out of that right into another set of problems because that's our comfort zone. Right? If we're able to embrace the fall, so to speak, then we're already in a much better place than we were before. Now, from that space, we need to really look very closely at our own true authentic values, like what are important what are important things to us, not to the people around me, not because of the expectations people have of me, but to me, what do I think is important? Right? And then we get into a very interesting place because then people have to really start to consider, wow, do I actually have values? Do I actually care about something? I've been chasing this poker dream so long and now I have it and got the money and it feels like I really don't have anything at all. The money is cool, but it didn't really fulfill me in any way. I almost feel more empty than before because I thought this was the fix and it turned out not to be the fix. And from that space, and that's what Dabrowski talks about as well, is embracing the chaos and not fighting it, not going against it, but trying to dive underneath the chaos and see what is causing this for me. 
Right? Where's this coming from? And that really comes by making self-improvement a priority. And stepping away from poker is usually one big, big step for a lot of players who would, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, coach. And I'm like, I know, but maybe that's good. Because if you truly want to know what's important for you, you need to step away from poker because poker is a lot of times is a coping mechanism as well. Even studying can be a coping mechanism, right? I'm busy, I'm working, I'm productive, and at least I'm doing something. I don't have to worry about my demons, right? Yeah. But, but what if you don't, right? What if you don't play for three days? How do you feel? Right. Sweeping dust from one corner of the room to another corner of the room. You may be active, but you're not exactly productive, right? Um, you mentioned a word that's one of my favorite words, values, mm. uh, and I can say with confidence that my number one value as it relates to poker content creator, poker coach is to create impact. That is mm. the driving force behind every single action that I take. And so I will ask you, Coach Bauman, what are your values? What is the driving force behind the actions that you take in your day-to-day life? Well, on a, on a broad scale, I would like to help every person I come in contact with. And very specifically, I would like to help highly intelligent people because I feel that they're not heard. Um, They don't really get the attention they deserve because oftentimes uh, they're fairly successful, right? If we just look at the numbers, statistics, science, highly intelligent people, they don't go to jail that much. They're not in debt that much. Don't get in trouble. They're not even have the same amount of mental or physical health issues as uh, average or less than average intelligent people. So they are privileged people. And because they're privileged, who cares about them? Right. That's um, a problem, right? Like, yeah. that's, this is so I can just say that, like, I have a sibling. My sibling had some issues growing up due to forces beyond her control. I was self sustained, took mm-hmm. care of myself, never got in trouble. And I've heard this story from multiple people where, like, you just don't get in trouble and basically your parents feel like you don't need any help, right? Yeah. You've got you've got it kind of figured out on your own. So you end up kind of raising yourself. And I have to imagine that for a lot of self-sufficient humans from an early age, their parents kind of just make this assumption that like, yeah, they got to figure it out. What, what do they need help with, right? And that whenever you get into the real world and you're responsible for paying bills and all of these things you're totally mm. unprepared for you're not emotionally ready because nobody's helped you uh, learn and understand your emotions like we're born with emotions but we don't innately understand exactly what's going on mm. um, life gets tough and those human beings certainly need nurturing and care and they need somebody to help guide them in their journey through life absolutely I mean, just a very honest example that I have uh, for myself. Just the last two weeks, I've got an ear infection. I cleared out my whole calendar. I told all my clients, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I overstretched myself. That's because my my fiance is going through her last uh, one, two years of internship at medicine school. She's almost done. It's very stressful during COVID and all that stuff. And she takes her energy home at night and then I'm trying to process whatever I've dealt with with clients. And then she comes and puts her energy on top of that. And at night, I collapse. I just, I, the, the, the weight of all the emotions becomes so heavy to me. 
that I just completely collapse. I, I can't even explain the feeling. It's just, uh, I really feel like my legs give up and I just fall almost um, mentally. I'm just exhausted. And it doesn't have to be a big thing for me for that to happen. It can just be, a, a, um, I'm trying to get a bill paid and it's not working out. Or I'm trying to get this, get in touch with the client and the client is on a whatever degen binge, drug binge for seven days and I worry about them. These small things can trigger this mental breakdown with me. And now I've learned to deal with it. I call a friend, I talk with my fiance, reach out to some people I love, and then it's better. But I used to not acknowledge this, just work through it. And that doesn't work. Right? But as men, we're not really allowed or supposed to have mental breakdowns for minor silly stuff. Right? But I do, and I allow myself now to have these. And none of that is even minor or silly, right? Like th th these are all real yeah, things real that yeah. real life uh, problems and things that we're thinking about, considering and dealing with. And I, I can't I can't speak for you, but like for me, as somebody that is a problem solver, when I have like 15 or 20 problems that are kind of circling me in the micro and then when the macro gets piled on top of that, whether it relates to social unrest or all just COVID and all the things that have happened. Um, like you said, it, it's a weight. It, it's a burden. And when you when I don't know what to do, I tend to do nothing and just ruminate and have all of these things kind of circling me and not and feel like I'm kind of buried. Right. Like, how do I how do I start? You know, my wife reminds me all the time, like. How do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. Like you just mm. focus on one thing. Um, with, and I have to like start practicing more self care because that's another thing that kind of goes out the window when I'm trying. When I'm like a work in workaholic mode, I don't yeah. take care of myself. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm a coach who's telling guys to take care of themselves physically, mm. mentally, and spiritually, and yet I'm not doing it myself. Like what? What a fucking hypocrite! Like get your shit together, right? Like unplug i'm just like you being like at night i will you know run my bath and my phone is like almost dead and i'm like what am i gonna look at while i'm in the bath like I, where's the kindle i need something to st i can't just sit there by myself with no sort of stimulation and because of that now it's like every day two hours unplugged at least yes. where i have no screen time because I need it. It is necessary for my personal health to do that. And it's not yes. something I want to do. I'm pulled in every direction, but I must do it in order to be the best self that I can be for not just me, but my wife, my kids, my, my students, my clients, all of these mm. folks at, when I show up at the poker table, it's just necessary. Right. And I think that for the listener, just understand how you're constructed, what you're dealing with and, Practice self-care, you know, mm. prioritize self-care because that's what allows you to perform at a high level. And you really just can't without doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, fully agree with you. I, I, uh, I have my ritual where I know I can fall back on and I know that works for me. Uh, I know that if I wake up in the morning and I take a cold shower and I fix my beard and I do my hair and I put on some nice clothes and I make myself a nice cup of tea and I spend time with the cat do all these different things that I actually 
not really enjoy that much. I, you know, when I'm in work mode, I hate my, I want to kill my cat, <laughs> but I, I do it because I know it's going to make me feel better and I'm going to have a better relationship with them, which is going to make me feel very happy. So it's all these small investments that I just have to put in, in order to know, you know, in order to kind of counterintuitive take these actions consistently, because I know it goes against my initial urge to just, let's just get to work. What is this silliness? Uh, but I know it's going to make me feel better in the end. I just, that's, it's almost like, um, uh, I, I always tell my clients, we shouldn't be afraid of collapsing because highly sensitive people will collapse. It's inevitable. We will run up a check. We will overextend ourselves. And then we're going to have to pay the price. We yeah. will. It's inevitable. We will collapse. We'll fall. We'll say, oh, my God, I've just oof, uh, been not doing anything for two weeks. I've fucked up everything. This is bad. Okay, so where do we go from here? Right? We shouldn't fear it because it's going to happen. We just got to find a way to get back on that horse. And whatever works is fine. But I think the best place to start is self-care because that's usually the things that we neglect the most. If you look at... Um, uh, the the chess guy Ma- uh, Magnus is his name Magnus yeah Mag- Magnus Carlson I believe yeah I think that's his name right it's incredible you can see his evolution if you go on Google and Google young Magnus you see the young guy looking nerdy with his hair all messed up and his clothing looking nah he's beating everybody and then he got with his mental coach I think it's a Norwegian or something it's an incredible guy he's got a book about chess mindset. Uh, and then you saw the transition of him wearing nice clothes and suits and doing his hair, looking good and healthy and doing interviews, like actually talking sense <laughs> into the camera, taking this time, being patient. Like that is coaching right there. These simple things that a person is not paying attention because he's so dialed in the chess, like neglecting everything, probably not getting any girls or nothing, just playing chess all day. And the coach like, bro, all right, step back a little bit, right? You can you can do this, but, you know, you might want to wear a nice shirt or put on some cologne and take a shower or whatever, you know? And those things, I think, are super, super important. For the analytical person, they might not understand how that affects emotion, how that affects oh. mindset, how that affects confidence. But it really is an investment into your state of mind and the person that you know just being being your best self it it sounds sounds counterintuitive but it's absolutely the truth you can look at elon musk right from pictures from 20 years ago he is like skinny nerdy balding guy and just looks like a completely different human being now um as he's the i think i believe he him and bezos are i think he's the richest man in the world right now elon yeah got a lot of money yeah, he, he does. But yeah, it just looks like two different people, right? And yet it is the same person. Even Bezos looks way different than he looked 20 years ago. Like he's yeah. he's more muscly. He, he, just, he just looks like a different human being. Yeah. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? 
for now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future. The price of admission to the live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. And so now to kind of hop into our our lightning round. Actually, I do want to I do want to touch on your work with Raise Your Edge and Yeah, sure. helping poker players, going from someone who was saved by the game of poker to helping other folks manage being a professional poker player, how did that transition come about? Well, I had a chat with my uh, now business partner. Then I had no idea who he was. He was in Amsterdam. My friend told me, hey, uh, I'm going to have a chat with this guy. He's a pretty interesting guy. He's a professional pot limit Omar player, business guy. Um, we had a talk, and I told him about my work and counseling and high intelligence. And he's like, wow, all of these things that you're telling me, being emotional, not having your stuff together, uh, be, having a huge potential but not really achieving it, feeling uh, a sort of frustration and inner conflict about not reaching your potential. All these things did very similar, very similar to the things I'm dealing with with my employees, but also poker friends that I have, right? The social anxiety and all that other stuff that comes with it, highly addictive personality, obsessive character. Uh, and I said, okay, well, interesting. Maybe I could see if I can help them. And all of a sudden I had four clients, like the week after I had, I'm like, what do I do with these guys? <laughs> this is, I only had groups. Like I was a group coach, basically I had 30, 35 from 18 and up and they were all highly intelligent. So I, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I, 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 I built up some muscle. I know how these, these kids are crazy. You know, I've, I've been to them, been through the ropes with them for a lot of, a lot of years. So, but the poker thing was a whole different animal. And the more I worked with them, the more I noticed that, if we focus on poker, we're not really going to ever get any real self-improvement done. So the more I work with them, the more I diverted actually from poker. And some clients, I never even touch on poker at all. We just talk about mental and physical health exclusively. That's it, nothing else. And the poker results are just going up and up and up and it's great. So we're not even touching. We don't even touch that. We just touch life and um, most of them just want to understand themselves. Why am I the way I am? And how come I'm a normal guy working nine to five and chilling with my kids and doing great stuff. But when I'm on a poker table, I lose my freaking mind. <laughs> I show behavior that I, I wouldn't even recognize myself. It's almost like I look at third person at myself. I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he smashing keyboards and mouses and yelling and screaming and dunk punting off money? Like I would never do this in real life. And then the conversation basically with me and Ben happened and we were completely on board together with this new generation of poker uh, requires a different attitude. It requires really respecting the craft, being a professional, right? And also defining for yourself, what is being a professional? Am I looking at the old school poker players who were, you know, sitting behind the computer in the underpants and chugging at Red Bulls as professionals, or were they just talented kids who had a great run? Right? What is a professional? Right? And we start there. And I think that's a great place to start because a lot of um, people who admire poker, they don't really see it as a profession from the start. 
right? They don't really understand that it comes down to you to be your own boss and be your own coach, be your own trainer all at the same time. And that this game requires a level of dedication and an approach that is really different than what a lot of people think. Yeah, and if you think about it, right? Like, you know, you mentioned 50 and L just being really easy in 2008, right? Yeah, and I think well, that, it's... you know, what, what's interesting to me is I don't really think poker is that much more difficult today than it was in 2008. People build it up to something that it, it is not. But those kids, like like myself, right? I came into the game at 20 years old in 2004, and there were no role models. There was nobody telling you how what to do. This autonomy that I gained, it was like everything else in my life up to that point, I have to figure out what to do. I've got to solve this problem myself. And obviously, 20 years old, I was very idiotic in many, many ways, very ignorant. Uh, my, my brain was not fully mature, so lots of really just horrible, horrible decisions. But I mean, we didn't have that blessing. We didn't have the blessing of having somebody help you manage your career and treat poker like it ought to be treated as a profession, as a job, how to create a, uh, daily rituals that take care of your your mind, your body, your spirit, all of these things that did, that just didn't exist in the poker mm. space. So all these kids were basically young humans who got a hold of a fair amount of money and then had yes. to figure things out on their own. And yes. it's not exactly shocking that it didn't work out for a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't. And that's why I say in the Ben CB podcast as well, you might be talented, you might, you might have a, an amazing run, but it, it's going to fall apart. If you don't take it seriously, it's going to fall apart. It really does. It has it, happened to many, many, many players already. And it doesn't even matter about it falling apart or not, right? Like they're going to fall apart as yeah. a human. They're yeah, like, they're going to fall apart. Yeah. And, and not they're just going, poker. yeah, it's, you know, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. It's really sad to me when we aspire to something, we climb a mountain and then we get to the top and we realize, oh shit, we've climbed the wrong mountain. Like mm. we, we get to the top and we still feel empty inside. Like yes. that is the thing that ought to be prevented, that ought to be talked about before they reach the top, right? Like yes. just to be a better human, to not fall apart, because there are so many points of failure as it relates to the path of being a professional poker player and the resources that are available to folks now that weren't available 15 years ago. You have to take advantage of them. They're, they're yeah. just they're blessings that are just sitting there created to help and mm. guide you and give you wisdom. So please, if you're listening right now and your whole life is poker, you're immersed in it, you're young, you're doing well, like take care of yourself and speak with people who can provide you with this wisdom because they can save you so much angst and anxiety and pain that is just it's just unnecessary you know like there's no what what profession in what profession where there are high performers do people not have coaches like mm. every profession has coaches Everyone even like uh, professional gamers now who are 17 years old they have many coaches who are helping them navigate the world right so like yeah. you're not you're not special you're not special mm -hmm. that you have it all figured out and that you don't need a coach you absolutely do yeah and and i don't even think 
it's about needing a coach. It's it's also about embrace that privilege, right? It's there. Use it. You've you know joined the community, a world where you're free to do whatever you want. If you're able to make a living out of this, you have a lot of freedom. Use that freedom. Empower yourself with it. Right. Make the right decisions to at least get out of this community one day or maybe remain a part of it for the rest of your life, but become a better person while you're doing it, not just uh, make a ton of money. Because we've seen this movie over and over again. The money is not going to do anything for you. It's really, you know, it's going to help you travel. It's going to help you buy shit. But that's really it. The, The feeling will remain the same. And I felt it. Uh, I've had a lot of money winning a lot of t- poker tournaments in my year of good run. And I also was pretty miserable being homeless. It wasn't really that different. You get used to the money quick, uh, really, really quick. It gets old very quick. Um, and I think that's what me and Ben CB also agree on, that we really preach just focusing on a solid, good strategy. Don't go too crazy. Be creative. The bluff catching, triple barrel bluffing and trying to get in these marginal spots. Just make sure you have a strategy first, something that you're confident about, right? Find something that uh, you know you can master. I see so many players jump from PLO to no limit to six plus to jumping all over the place. And then they go to tournaments. And then in tournaments, they go for all these tricky plays. And really, we need that solid foundation first and this is also a high intelligent thing i've noticed it with my clients that high intelligent clients they get stuck studying one river spot where they kind of call too loose or shove too loose or they just stuck in this one river spot for two days studying this spot i'm like this spot is not gonna happen five times a day bro why are you stuck in this spot just work on your game zoom out and focus on your overall strategy instead of just being in this river spot that you're only going to be in once a month maybe right and that's that's really that that um that avoidance of the big picture which is scary that's accepting that you really don't know anything right in whatever phase you are in poker you really don't know that much there's so much still left for you to learn and that's almost overwhelming that feeling of whoa I am very bad. <laughs> I'm not great. Uh, maybe, well, maybe I got to learn. Maybe I got to study. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, Nick Howard uh, told me in a private conversation. I'm, I'm not sure if I can share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. But basically, All he had right. a con- consult with somebody, and you know, he asked him what they were looking for You know, when we talked about values. And the guy said that he wanted to be able to to, he wanted to be able to make magic at the poker table. Like he, mm. he wanted to just do magical things, right? That like other human beings are not capable of. And, and this is like such. It, it's funny when it's phrased that way, but that's the mentality of so many people. Like mm. bluff catching, yes, rivers in infrequent spots is a sexy thing, yes. but ultimately not an ultra valuable thing. And you have to separate the two because fundamentally solid strategy that gets you the money is not that sexy. It's just making great decisions over and over and over again early in the decision tree where some people are making subpar decisions, right? Like, and that's it. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Um, Don't try to be the outlier, the wizard. The wizard's 
know all the rules, right? It's like you can't start breaking the rules until you know the rules. And yes. the wizards know all the rules, and they have very specific reasons that even in videos or you know training videos, they can't verbalize the exact reasons as to why they're deviating from the norm. And mm -hmm. then this like monkey see, monkey do type thing happens where people just misapply concepts left and right. And it's like yes. just fu play fundamentally sound good poker. And once you have that down pat and you've established that you're playing well, you're making great decisions over and over and over again – then let's talk about deviating and kind of playing above the rim. But you don't mm. get to play above the rim, you know, until you have the fundamentals down pat. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? I saw the Phil Ivey, Barry Green sound interviews on YouTube where they go back and forth in a beautiful interview. Um, and I, I, I noticed then what I respected about him when I was younger. I always thought it was the way he played. Right, his decisions that he made, even though they were incredible, ahead of his time, beautiful decisions. Now, looking back at it, what I truly respected was his presence, his attitude, his confidence, his body language, the way he, uh, he carried himself, the way people respected him, the way nobody ever told him, Phil Ivey, you're an idiot, you're a sucker, you're a donkey, you're none of that. That's, that's really his, his self-work what he had to do on himself and the way he carried himself. And that doesn't really come from studying. That just comes from believing in yourself and having confidence. And those things come from having self-control, having discipline, having your values, having, you know, putting a lot of work towards those values, making sure your actions are aligned with your values and having clarity in your life, knowing who you are. I think those things will create that magic maybe that he's looking for instead of his poker decisions. Right? If you just want to be respected or looked at as, wow, this guy's carrying the table. He's like, has such a presence. That's not really about poker. I've seen players who are not great poker players, but still carry that same energy, that presence on the table. Right. That, um, yeah, that's, that's really, uh, some people confuse that sometimes. And I've, I've had it myself as well. It's uh, Jason too is gonna love you for this this talk on presence being him, yeah, him, him being the poker with presence guy, um, yeah. but what's super interesting about that is Phil Ivey is a perfect example of having the confidence in each decision that he makes, carrying himself with that presence, and yet not being arrogant, right? Like oh. he he didn't get to where he's at with being arrogant. It's maybe just this huge huge amount of curiosity and exploration into the decision tree and trying to figure out like this was a good move is there a better move behind the next door like i think mm -hmm. that curiosity like when, whenever you get you become arrogant right you become so confident that you're arrogant that's when things are going to start falling apart for you yes and those guys like you know the phil ivies the fedor holtzes of the world they just manage that tightrope. They, they manage to walk it so, so well of being at the table, fully present, making great decision after great decision, and not being arrogant in the meantime, which basically just means that they're just going to continually, regularly upgrade their game and yes. do, do things that other people just kind of scratch their head at and say, well, I, I guess that's just Fedor being Fedor, right? Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so... Um, anyway, just, just wanted to point out the, you know, the, the arrogance thing there. Arrogance is, is 
one of the major failure points as it relates to yes. poker players and even high-level poker players. Just arrogance will be your undoing if you don't address it, if you don't try to stay at least humble and curious in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now we're going to segue to the lightning round version of the show. What's the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? Most unexpected thing? Um, the people that I met. Uh, it's been really like somebody has grabbed my hand and just pulled me through life and not telling me where we're going to go next. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. What, what's the most high-impact action you believe players can make to improve their mental game? Helping other people. Why helping other people? I think if you can help other people, it's not only going to make you feel good about yourself and about your value that you have and the impact that you potentially can have on other people, but it can also help you to zoom out a little bit, create empathy for other people's situation and also for yourself. It's a great reference point to understand that your world is a lot bigger than that microcosmos in your head that you're stuck in. Yeah, and serving other people is a necessary ingredient ingredient as it relates to joy and a happy and fulfilling life, in my absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What's something you feel folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? Uh, defining being a professional, what it is for them to be a professional. Which is what individual is. in nature, right? Individual, absolutely. Yeah. Right. What do you think they spend too much time thinking about? There's a lot of things that they overthink, um, especially in my clientele. Um, but I would say risks that doesn't work out the way they wanted, bluffs or taking shots, uh, being stuck on these decisions that you know you're not going to change anyway. Yeah, they're gone. You can't yeah. you can't go back and redo them. But and once the decision happens, though, the emotions linger, and that's yeah. sort of the that's what they're tangling with is the emotions. Yeah. And a lot of times, I, I think too that they just want the emotion to go away, to go yeah. away, or they don't want to ever feel it again. Right? That's where the sticking point is. It's not that they yeah. want to take the decision back; it's they don't want to feel like shit after making a bad decision again. Mm. Yeah, and it's the great thing about poker is that. You know, it's not a, it's not the Olympics, it's not the FIFA World Cup, it's not uh, the Super Bowl, except for the, the the WSOP. You have so many opportunities at greatness in poker; it's ridiculous. It's just so privileged to be in poker. Um, really, you can do it every, almost weekly. You can achieve something that is great, life changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's another opportunity around the corner. Why dwell on what we can't change? What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? I think the the um, the average bankroll management advice. I don't really like that. I've I've experienced clients who have super aggressive bankroll management and clients who have super conservative bankroll management, uh, and both of them are not happy with their bankroll management. So I think it's really about finding. A comfortable place for them but also finding that balance between am i challenging myself enough am i feeling motivated and and triggered to play poker uh, and also do i feel safe enough 
in order to make mistakes. And that space is different for everybody. So I really don't like the generic bankroll management advice. Same, like the generic sleep advice, right? Everybody needs yeah. eight hours. No, you're, you're your own human being. Figure out what you need and then yeah, do that, right? Like yeah. in the same way that being a professional means different things to different people. Also figure out your life situation as it relates to bankroll because some life situations are just totally different than other people. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? My clientele, I always tell them living with intensity because it bundles up a lot of beautiful high sensitivity and high intelligence uh, concepts from Kazimir Dabrowski to Johansson to Ericsson to all these great guys who've came up with uh, perfectionism, narcissism and, and intelligence and sensitivity concepts. If we're talking about just general I loved Sapiens, like to get a good idea of human history, human behavior. That was a great book. Sapiens and Living with Intensity. I like the Living with Intensity. That's a good name. That's uh, it's a great title. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great title. Yeah, that's how yeah. I how I describe my poker sessions. Uh, oh, in, yeah. intense, um, intense, always intense. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? I want everybody to have online poker. Just every single country in the world. All right, another thing. This is like it's such, that's such low hanging fruit, right? Like, uh, um, yeah. we all want that, and it's yeah. absurd that that's not the it's reality ridiculous. that we live yeah. in. Um, yeah. What's a, what's another thing though? Because um, unfortunately, it's it's such an obvious answer that <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's the answer that all the guests yeah. um, come up with straight away. Yeah, it's very close to me um, because of Asia and how it, how how incredibly booming it is there and how much money there is there and how just billions of people can play. It's just crazy to me. But anyways, um, I, I think another thing would be, I would like to see maybe some more respect for the old school veterans, the legends. That would be cool. This, um, I think slowly it's coming more, at least than let's say five years ago. I think this, this understanding of, okay, they did create this boom for us that we're profiting of now. There were a bunch of cool, great characters and personalities together that maybe their poker skills were, um, some of them were here, some of them were there, but every one of them played a part in creating this incredible community that we have now and that we all profit from. Um, so I think it's it's definitely more aware of the meaning of a Sam Faha or uh, Mosseri or Elezra or Jamie Gold or Moneymaker. And I think a couple of years ago, there was a lot of guys very disrespectful towards them. Yeah, uh, it's because it's fairly cynical, right? The, the poker yeah. community can be can be fairly cynical. And even, even the disrespect of the folks that were playing back in 2004, right? It's like if yeah. I played poker back then, I would just be an absolute crusher. And every single yeah. time I hear that, I just think, no, you fucking wouldn't. Like, no you, you wouldn't. If you're not a crusher today, you wouldn't have been a crusher back then. Like, no, today no. you've got a lot of information, a lot of tools, a lot of resources that were unavailable to everybody. Yeah. We were figuring it out on our own. Like, if you can't do it with a playbook and a step-by-step -step action to take, there's zero chance you would have been successful yeah. back in 2004. So stop deluding yourself. Yeah. But, um Obviously, that's something that <laughs> that is near and dear to my own heart. It's understand. Like, yeah, I understand. Absolutely. Um, if you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past. 
what would it say? Be kind to one another. Just be actually kind. Show yeah. some kindness, like real kindness. I see sometimes on Poker Twitter, and I really don't like Poker Twitter that much all the time. Sometimes it's very funny and enjoyable, but sometimes I see these fights and people like get in on each other and roast each other and roast Mike Madison or whatever. And I know there's some, there's always reasons to go in on certain people, but it's sometimes it kind of like you be kind, man. Just be chill. It's better for you. It's better for them. It's better for everybody. It's just all. Be kind to each other. Really, it is. Even if people are sometimes showing toxic behavior, um, I, I think people underestimate the effect that it has on them being the sender of this energy as well. Like, it really messes with you mentally as well if you send it out. It's such an easy trap to fall into. Like, I, I can't claim total innocence and in not uh, taking a shot at Mattisau for the Postle thing or not taking a shot at Jamie Gold, I have played with Jamie Gold in the real world. Um, and that kind of skews my opinion of Mr. Gold. Um, yeah. but we'll save that stuff for, <laughs> save that stuff for, for Brad's internal memory banks. Let's just say it was not the most enjoyable experience that I've ever had playing poker, but mm. yeah, it, it's human nature to just kind of blow off steam, I think, but mm. it, it's an easy trap to fall into. It's an easy cycle, and ultimately, it doesn't. It's not really going to give you much in the way of fulfillment or happiness or joy. Always easier to tear somebody down than it is to yes. build them up. Exactly. Um, what's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart? My book. I'm uh, writing my book right now. Um, just started, to be honest, and um, it's really going to uh, touch on a lot of high intelligence, high sensitivity stuff, and hopefully from a very personal perspective, um, and also a book that is actually very nice and light to read and enjoyable to read, because a lot of psychology about high intelligence is a pretty tough read. It's It's difficult. I know it's a niche topic, but I'm really, I'm a coach at values, humor, realness, um, we're allowed to have jokes. We're allowed to <laughs> be edgy. We're allowed to discuss politics because I think coaching is inherently uh, based on politics, right? How I believe um, good life decisions are are very political in a way, right? Are you a super conservative coach or are you a very liberal liberal coach? Now you get two different, whole different experiences. And so I think um, a little bit of flavor a little bit of excitement in that niche would be cool because for now there's been a lot of very smart, spotless, clean people in that niche. And I hope I can be a little bit of a, a nasty, dirty guy and get and wrestle <laughs> with these uh, wrestle with these side therapists. <laughs> hey man, the real world is quite dirty and messy and yeah. let's not frame it in something that it isn't. Mm -hmm. What's the name of your book? Well, I'm still working on it, so I'm not sure, but it's basically going to be self-improvement for smart people. Uh, that's what I'm, the theme that's constantly come back to me. If that's going to be the title, I'm not sure. But um, I'm definitely looking to ruffle some feathers and get some people riled up and excited for it in a good way. So, yeah, that's the, it's, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. But I, I just really disagree with a lot of modern concepts, psychology concepts and methods that are being used to highly intelligent people because... They don't include the challenges that we have in our life, right? And for example, I, I take the example of um, me coming to my old therapist and telling them, 
I want to just make a ton of money and meet and talk with the most successful people in the world. And my therapist laughed at me right, right in my face, like, bro, you're homeless. This is not realistic. And it gave me all kinds of delusional and personality disorder diagnosis. And maybe I was, all right, I'll give them that. But at the same time, if they knew my potential and if they understood my potential, they could have also fed it and nurtured it. Because, you know, guess what I'm doing now? I'm making a good chunk of money and I'm meeting with incredibly successful and great people. That is my potential. And if I'm allowed to cultivate it, then I'm able to achieve it. So I would never kill a client's dream Either if they would tell me I want to be the next Elon Musk or I want to win a Nobel Prize, well, I'm damn sure you could potentially do it. So, you know, let's go. Let's let's make it happen. It's, it's always true that life and opinion is subjective. Even when you think you see the capital T truth of a situation, capital mm-hmm. T truth – almost never, ever, ever, ever exist with only one exception in my opinion and as it relates to our realities and the only capital T truth that I know of is that we are alive, that we do have an awareness that is experiencing the world and beyond that, everything is framed in subjectivity. So to laugh at somebody's dreams and their hopes and their wishes that they're even afraid to verbalize because of how it will look and they're afraid of judgment to laugh in those situations to me is ultimately i mean it to me somebody coming from a place of help it's the number one sin i think that Mm. that is just damaging and it shows how small of a person the coach the therapist whoever it is actually is and how they want to keep you small as well so if that happens to any listener in the audience hightail it the fuck out of there and find somebody who's going to believe and nurture and take care of you absolutely yeah i think having a good sense of reality is good uh but at the same time we shouldn't take away people's dreams like that that sense of maybe you know the psychiatrist was right maybe i was delusional maybe i had megalomania maybe i had a huge ego but you know that kept me alive all these years it kept me pushing it kept me working because i truly believed even though i was down on my money on my bankroll on my life on my health i still believed that one day i would achieve what i'm achieving now and i used to see ben cd on these final tables every single time and I was, I told him this personally, I was angry at this guy. He's at every fucking final table. How does this fucking guy, German guy does it every time he's at every big tournament. And I would, I was, I get frustrated sometimes. So I saw, you know, Odonkor or all these other great guys playing huge high stakes. And I'd play, you know, see Willy Wonka, or what's the other guy there on Betfair, huge, huge stay. And I get so frustrated. And now, you know, I'm talking with these guys every day. We're friends, we're, we're hanging and, I always believed that one day this would happen. I always did. Even, it didn't really matter how many people called me delusional. Really, my delusions kept me kept me going in a way. And they were very helpful. I mean, if I didn't have those, then, you know, I'd probably have given up somewhere and along the way. After, like, you mentioned the dream, right? This is the mistake that I see in poker marketing and promotion around the world are... The most valuable resource to any of these platforms are the pros and they get regularly shit on and demonized and they come, the the sites come after them, right? And they represent the dream. They represent the possibility 
And when you don't celebrate that, you're telling people the dream is not the dream is not worth it. If you become a good player, we're going to come after you. We're going to kick you out. We're not going to we're not going to celebrate you and your accomplishments. I mean, can you imagine like the tennis you know, the world of tennis kicking mm-hmm. out Federer for winning too many majors? Like you're not we're not letting other people win these championships. This is this is stupid. Like no other sport operates this way and yeah, I understand there's predatory behavior and that needs to be stamped out and we need to have integrity as professionals. But to demonize the pros is just so ridiculous and Mm. self-defeating. And anybody that runs a poker platform that is listening to this show, listen to this right here. Celebrate the pros. They're your most valuable resource. Yeah, that's all I that's all I have to say on that. But you can you can tell that's a, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Just Absolutely. because yeah. it's so backwards nowadays. It's I, just so I, backwards. It's really hard for me to have an opinion because I'm not in that specific world enough to you know judge any site or any decision. But I do know how much that meant to me. You know, seeing Tom Dwan and seeing Ivy and seeing these guys play, and then last I think two years ago. I had the chance to go to Macau or three years ago for the first time in my life. And I went to the casinos and I went to these rooms and I played a little bit of poker. And I I, I just almost, I, I literally, I broke down and cried in my hotel room. Like, wow, I made it. This is where I've, I've been watching these guys play on TV. And now I'm sitting here in this, in the same room. Maybe they slept here. Maybe they played here and I'm eating the same restaurants. They, they might be eating. And that, Seeing them, I, I don't think they know how much impact it made on so many people around the world, on how much willpower and even will to live it gave me to just keep going and find a place, not as a professional poker player. And this is what I tell a lot of clients as well. Your only path to poker success doesn't have to be as a player. You know, I found my way in the community as a coach. You can find your way as a caster or a writer or a producer or uh, you know, the, the, so many different ways that you can still make it happen. And regardless of how I came here, still I was inspired by Tom Dwan, Phil Ivey, and even JRB and Mike Mattisau and Elliot Lesmer and Sam Farr with the cigarette in the mouth. It's this, I still remember these things so vividly. And I always, always, I always held that fire in my heart because of them, really. And yeah. They, they mean a lot, a lot. That- they really do. I think that a lot of things changed with Black Friday and then the ensuing kind of darkness that online poker went into over the last decade. But, you know, I, I was told basically to my face um, by someone that is that runs a poker platform that we don't want players like you on the platform. Mm. Like we don't want winning players. We don't want good players to play on the platform. Right. Like that to me is just it, it's it's so backwards and I I don't hold a grudge for somebody having that opinion as it relates to their own poker platform. And I actually understand the poker ecosystem that they're talking about and, you know, what they mean when they say that as it's not personal, but the reality is like without good players, without people that embody the dream, the aspiration, the hope, you have nothing. No, mm-hmm. no poker platform will exist. You will lose numbers. Um, you won't grow in the way that you want. 
there's nothing without without celebrating these pros. So let's just as a community and platforms like just do a good job of building these guys up. I mean, that's what poker was built on in the first place, these superstars. Yeah, the superstars, absolutely. So, we're going to close it down asking you this one final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? You can find me on every single social media at Coach Bauman. Uh, I think I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, and CoachBauman.com. Uh, if you want to sign up for a free 30-minute consult, we can have a chat. We can meet. I would love to meet every single poker player. I think about, I do around uh, 200 of these a year uh, just because I love to meet people. We'll love to have a chat. Um, and, um, you know, if you feel that high intelligence or high sensitivity connects with you in any way, then, uh, please hit me up because it's not really deeply connected to poker at all. I think it's connected to life. And I think you agree with that, that poker is a great place uh, that can help you to reveal certain things about yourself, but in life is really the arena where we're going to have to deal with those things. Absolutely. And coach, it's been great having you on. Love to extend an invitation to have you back when you have your book named and ready to go out into the world. Thank you very much for your time and energy. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, bro. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.